0: The professional's choice.
1: What's up,
2: ladies and gentlemen of the HVAC world and refrigeration world, professionals out there. Listen, we have a cool podcast for you because I've invited a co-host, Matt Showers, to co-host with me. And our guest, Pat Finley from Commercial Kitchen Chronicles, has created a very positive a presence for himself online with social media postings and also has a podcast as well under the same name now the reason i invited matt on is because matt has also started a podcast for himself called trade therapy to discuss mental health aspects amongst his peers within the, the skilled trades which is a very cool thing and very much needed within the industry and to make this less taboo now the first half of the podcast we tackle Pat's experiences in commercial kitchens uh, the cleanliness he goes through the operation of an ice machine for those of you that don't know how an ice machine works he goes through it talks about the cleaning of an ice machine and we get into other aspects like exhaust fan and makeup air of a kitchen as well then Matt jumps in on the second half and asks some questions to Pat regarding his mental health and Pat's an open book as he'll tell you and he struggled with things like sleep apnea, weight, and other things that revolve around physical and mental health. And that's why Matt is on the podcast to co-host, to tackle these issues with Pat. So it's a really cool podcast. we got some technical stuff and some real deep human being stuff. So let's get to it, guys. This is the HVAC Not All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group. And listen, guys, training is massive in this industry to keep up to date on what's happening what's changing the new trends if you're looking for some training updated training on equipment or whatever is offered through master group this is my advice to you talk to your local rep talk to your local salesperson and find out what's what training is available for yourself and for the techs within your team if you're a, a business owner or a service manager or an install manager so Check out Master Group, guys, and their training, and check out master.ca. Something to be really proud of, guys, is the fact that we are blue-collar and not white-collar. I mean, some of us are, are white-collar within the industry. If, if we're on that side engineering, uh, maybe you're uh, an estimator or something like that. And, and yes, you're white-collar, but you're within a blue-collar industry, helping blue-collar trades. And that's why we have a sponsorship with someone like Cintas, who provides blue-collar uniforms to the blue-collar industry. Right? They have all kinds of solutions, so you just got to check them out, guys. Go to Cintas.com forward slash HVAC Know-It-All and check out what Cintas has to offer for the blue collar industry. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, so Pat, Matt, I want to get right into this and and do a little bit of discussion around commercial kitchens. And I got to say, from my experience in commercial kitchens, I have a little bit of experience, not a lot, a little bit. And from what I can say, a kitchen that I've worked in is either pristine or it's filthy. It's never in between and i mean there's restaurants i will tell you i will never ever eat in the restaurant because i have seen what what they do there i was recently in a uh, a pizza place because i had to walk through the back to get to a, a roof door and there was uh one of the guys had like a, a rubber made tub that you would store things in and it was half filled with chicken wings and sauce and he was doing he was rummaging it around and stuff i'm like that doesn't seem right to do that and T- in like a Rubbermaid bin. Shouldn't that be done in like like a big stainless steel bowl or something like that that's a little more sanitary? Anyway, so Pat, I'm sure you got a ton of stories like that. And, and I want to get into this, this life of uh, a commercial kitchen tech and, and some of the ins and outs of it. So may, maybe start off, kitchens, mostly are they gross or, or are they mostly clean in your experience?
0: Uh, like you said, it's either pristine or it's trash i mean there's some that are in between um just depends on where you're at i mean i always tell people if you can see the kitchen generally you're safe to eat there so people always complain that mcdonald's are dirty i'm like man you can see the kitchen at mcdonald's you can't see the kitchen at your high-end steak place i mean like i use an example i was asked to go to a a high-end steak place i'm talking like 150 a person um they were building a new location and they asked me to come in to evaluate their equipment and i'd never been in there I opened the back door and looked around. I said, who's the manager? And they pointed to this guy. And I went over there. I was like, I'm here to evaluate your equipment. He's like, oh, what do you think we should take over to the other store? And I was like, to be honest, throw it all away. I was like, because you don't want to drag these bugs, and everything else into your brand new kitchen.
2: hmm. Yeah. I so my father in law bought a restaurant um, at one or he, he didn't buy it. Sorry. He kind of I don't really know the story, but he ended up getting this like bar restaurant and we went into the back because he had me. He wanted me to look at some of the stuff, the gas stuff, and the connections, and the freezer, and the cooler, and all that. And the place was filthy. And he paid somebody to come out and clean the place. And the first guy that came, uh, he quoted him on over the phone. The first guy that came after the quote, he said, "Yep, sorry, this, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Sorry, I'm walking away from it." And then he found another person to come in and clean it, like take take the fryers right out from the wall and clean in behind. Uh, it, the, the person ended up doing it, I think it cost him like around a couple grand or something like that for the person to to go through and clean the kitchen. But I mean, I, I think it's worth it to get the kitchen immaculate and pristine. I mean, he could have done it himself or him him and his friends or wife or whatever. But I, I mean, I guess that gets to a point where nobody even wants to touch that stuff. Have you been involved in cleaning a kitchen or are you just working on the equipment itself
0: well i work on the equipment but i also install a lot of equipment sometimes i'll go out to a store to do an install at night and um i've pulled out fryers and they wouldn't pull out um i was talking to the manager like man we haven't pulled this fryer out in years the casters are broke so i literally had to drag it out away from the wall and it had grease all the way up the back of it and it like adhered itself to the wall so it was like electric fryer and it plugged in and I pulled out three of the four cords and the fourth one I couldn't pull out and it was encased in grease. And I couldn't see it. So I just grabbed real hard and jerked. Well, apparently the receptacle went bad and they hardwired it and it was just hanging out. It wasn't attached to the wall or secured if anything. It had wire nuts, and I ripped the wire nuts out and thought I was going to burn the store down. But that's really the only time I clean. So I get to a situation where I'm doing an install and I don't want to work in that environment. Um, most of the time when I tell the customer, hey, we're $119 an hour. Um, i'll clean it but you're better off having someone else clean it most of the time they tell me get out of the way and have someone else do it but it, it, it's amazing what you see um it, i don't get it i mean you go in these restaurants and the floor tiles are, are, are a big thing here everyone uses floor tiles because they're cheap and easy the problem is that grease gets underneath there it eats up that grout eats up the mortar bed and it, the tiles come up and then they can't pull the equipment out and then you run into issue it um you run into instances where they just don't clean behind there because they can't pull it out anymore and it's just it's sad that it gets to that point, and this is like big major chains. I mean, it's not like it's a mom and pop place. It's just they just lack of maintenance. They don't want to spend the money to fix the floor in order to pull the fryers out, or they don't want to close for a day to fix the floor because, you know, they'll come in at night and they'll slap floor tiles down. They won't clean the floor properly. They'll throw new floor tiles down and grout it and come in the next day and start cooking on it. Well, that stuff's not set up. It's not cured. And it's busted back out of there a couple weeks later.
2: Hmm. Now, I'm going to let Matt ask a couple of questions because i'm sure he he has some, but I, I do want to say that i you mentioned McDonald's, you can see the kitchen, and any restaurant that I go to that I can actually see the kitchen, it makes me feel better because I worked at McDonald's as like an eighteen year old kid I hated every minute of it, and I only lasted there a month, but it was fairly clean in the McDonald's kitchen. I will have to admit that because they they had um they had manuals and stuff that you had to follow to clean this and clean that at certain times of the day. And just like a, a hamburger, it can only sit in, in the hopper thing for like six minutes or something. I can't remember the actual number. Then you got to chuck it in the garbage. Uh, so the the kitchens were really, really clean. Uh, Matt, do you have any questions as far as the, the line of work that Pat's in and, and just how we can sort of expose this this part of the industry?
1: I mean, I've I've only worked in a handful of kitchens, nothing specifically. Um I you know mostly deal with comfort cooling myself, but there've been a couple of times where I've gone into like a kitchen at like a, say a golf course, a country club that sort of thing and that's interesting what you're you're saying there too because I think um a lot of times I'm it's more on that gross side that I've seen. It's not very very clean, but I would echo what you're saying though Gary. Like I worked at a McDonald's years ago when I was in college and even at a Burger King that was along along um the the Pennsylvania Turnpike which you know is a toll road along the state here and those places are seem to be a lot cleaner than, you know, when those places that you can't see, then that's where it seems that the dirt and grime really seem to kind of like show because those people, you know, you, they don't see it. So it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And uh, that's what it seemed to me. That's my, been my experience anyway, but um, with you, Pat, I guess, what exactly? I mean, I've seen other guys work in like the food service industry, um, but I, are there like specific challenges that come with that? Because it seems like you would work on like almost any, anything and everything like you could deal with almost like burners and then refrigerators and all sorts of other things. So what, what's that like when you have to like deal with just all different kinds of appliances?
0: So I'm not going to lie. I have ADHD and um, it suits me well because it's always something different. Um, when I first started, I just started doing hot side stuff. So I was doing like ovens, combs, that kind of stuff. And I got bored with it. I, I was pretty good at it after about three years, and I wanted to do more. And um, so I got into refrigeration. But it, it leans it leads well for me because I'm in and out of all different kinds of environments, working on different things. I mean, some days I may work on four or five different types of equipment. Some days I, you know, I'm installing something. So it's always something different. And it's always cool. But we do gas, we do electric. I mean, we do steam powered stuff. We do everything in the kitchen, dishwashers, disposals. I mean, if it's in a kitchen, we'll work on it.
2: I I know this is going to be a popular talking point is ice machines. Cause I mean, ice machines are one of those things. Like I, I have, uh, t- to be honest with you, I have very limited experience working on an ice machine. And it wasn't until about four years ago that I, I laid my eyes on my very first ice machine, very first one. And I'm like, this is cool, man. I want to see how this thing works. And because I didn't know, I've heard people talking about ice machines and harvest and refrigeration cycle and and all that kind of stuff and, and dumping into the bin. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't understand it until I actually physically seen it. So when it comes to ice machines, I guess my question would be, are they really like that difficult to work on? Or is it just something that you just, kind of gotta wrap your brain around get the method of this 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 it does that then that and then you once you kind of have that cycle down pat you understand them a little better because from my understanding a lot of people have difficulty with ice machines how difficult are they really to work on
0: um they can be difficult but most of the time it's generally water related issues (laughs) 95 percent of my machine calls is rarely anything to do with refrigeration um one percent percent's probably electrical i'll lose a fan motor a pump or a cylinder or something but 95 percent of the time it's it's water um crappy water so people don't treat the water or there's other environments in the air so a lot of bakeries have a lot of yeast in the air that stuff gets in the ice machine clogs it up kind of creates like a little snot um kind of some will turn pink some will be black just depends on <laughs> where you're at or what you're working with and then lime scale lime is the devil on my world um uh we could our industry could be cut in half if we had perfect water everywhere um limescale it, it just it sticks to those plates and then unfortunately you have guys that don't pay attention to what they're working on and they'll clean a machine with the wrong cleaner and actually eat the coating off the of plates and it's all different kinds of things coming into effect but they're not difficult you just got to take your time and if you don't understand the sequence of operations there's manuals for everything so back to you know read the manual um Find the manual, look at the sequence operations, and you gotta have patience. Um, a lot of guys they'll think they fix an ice machine, it drops one batch and out the door. Well, I tell my guys, first batch doesn't count, and then you're counting the next three batches. You know, you're timing it out, you're checking your pressures, you're making sure everything's in line. So it's just a patience game.
2: So can I ask you to take two minutes and just go through the cycle of an ice machine, if you don't uh, mind, for the guys out there that don't know how it works?
0: So the majority of your machines start off with. Um, most of the new ones have like a, a pre-chill where they chill that plate. And whenever chilling that plate, a lot of times they'll be filling the reservoir. So you got a water reservoir, it's below the plate. And that's,
2: when you say plate, do you, it's the, the, the when you say plate, that's where the water sits to, to make the cube? So that's the,
0: the, the yeah, cubes? that's where the water runs across to make the cube. So it's the evaporator plate. Yeah, okay, so it's just right. a, yeah. a heat exchanger. It's a cold plate heat exchanger. So some of them have ridges, some of them have uh, cubelets. it just depends on what type of machine it is. Um, so it chills that plate, it fills the reservoir, and then it kicks into a free cycle. And that free cycle, it actually pumps the water from that reservoir across the distribution tube. And the distribution tube runs that water evenly across the evaporator plate. And the water travels down the evaporator plate and it freezes. And it just it continues that cycle until it freezes till whatever causes the harvest. Some models, it has a nice thickness probe that actually senses uh, conductivity of the water to ground. And that triggers the harvest once it gets that thick. Some uses a microphone where it senses like the volume of the water running across there and that'll trigger a harvest some actually use low pressure controls when that low pressure gets to a certain a certain point it actually initiates the harvest because it thinks okay my plate should be this cold i've used this much water and it'll kick it into harvest and some use a water level so it'll actually it measures the water so the water will go down it fills back up and that water go back down again and once it comes off that float for the second time it knows okay i've used this much water it's time to harvest so it just depends on the manufacturer how they harvest or how they sense um the water volume, you know, used over the ice thickness. So it just, there's a lot of different variables. I mean, just like in the HVAC world, there's a million different manufacturers do everything differently. The same thing with the ice machines. Yeah, for sure. So once it's satisfied though, that the ice is where it needs to be, it goes into harvest. Um, And most people use a hot gas or a cool gas bypass valve. And what that does is it routes the gas. Instead of going to your condenser, it routes it back through a loop right back in after the txv into your ice plate or your evaporator plate and puts that hot gas in there and that's how it assists and aids in defrosting so that hot gas actually heats that plate up and then the ice falls off now some have a uh an air puffer so it's a little air motor and it has tubes and it pushes air up against the ice to help assist get it off the plate um some just rely on gravity and then some have like a little rod that actually is on a a little actuator and actually pushes the ice off the plate to help aid and harvest and then the cycle starts all over again so but these cycles vary um some of your smaller machines can do like a 10 9 10 minute cycle but you have your big hoshizakis you know those cycles can be 45 to 50 minutes depending on variables wow
2: matt we got a professional here he he just nailed the the operation of an ice machine in about three minutes and like like the back of his head. oh yeah
1: for sure and and as you know what you're saying about the um the ice machine in the harvest to me it thinks makes me reminds me of a, of a heat pump in heating mode i mean to make an equivalent to people that are out there that do the comfort cooling kind of thing where it's like you know you have your heat pump and it runs and runs and runs it builds that frost up and then it switches into that defrost mode to get rid of the ice in this case though you have this intentional build up and then you use the hot gas then to kind of melt a little bit of that ice like on the back of it and then it helps either you know then you're just saying it slides off or it gets pushed off in, in a variety of ways
2: yeah for sure for sure and the the way i'm used to hot gas cuz is it's basically a hot gas defrost and i'm usually used to hot gas defrost in in a in a refrigeration setting where you're trying to get rid of the ice on the coil so you can have proper airflow across the coil but in this case it's not it's not for that at all it's it's to melt uh basically it, it, for lack of a better term melt the ice off of the plate so it drops down into the bin right yep
0: yep it hits the sheet and rolls down to the bin. It's it's a pretty simple process. It What happens to a lot of people is they get kind of confused on it. Um, if you're low on gas, you're going to notice issues in harvest. Um, so that can be an issue. A lot of guys get hung up on that. You know, hey, it freezes great. Well, if it shows a little bit low on gas, just like, you know, everything else gets low on gas. You drop not metering correctly. You don't have enough heat to melt that ice off. You'll have long uh, harvest cycles and stuff like that. So just taking a time understanding understand the sequence of operations but like I said 95% of the time it's water related just they're gunked up man they get full limescale you have an uneven water pattern across that uh, evaporator and then you start having freeze issues
2: Hmm. so what about cleaning an ice machine I mean you don't have to spend too much time on it but the the process of cleaning an ice machine it's not that difficult right I mean the last ice machine I cleaned I used some ice machine cleaner and ran it through like the nickel free stuff or nickel safe stuff, not nickel free, nickel safe stuff, and basically ran that through. And the manufacturer said, get some, some like baking soda and, and, and water. And that was good enough to wipe down the bin and, and all the other components and take, take components out, uh, that are removable and put them in a bin of baking soda and water and kind of let them soak. It, I, I don't know that, like, this is the first time I ever clean an ice machine. That's what the manufacturer told me is to use the, the cleaner and baking soda and water to wipe down and, and, and soak everything. But, I mean, I'd like to hear how you do it and how you, how you clean the ice machine. Subco has released their new OEM grade run capacitors. They have the linebacker uh, labeling on it. That's the the branding they're using for it. Now, they got a three-year warranty as well. And man, did these things ever cause a shitstorm on social media when I posted about them, especially on Facebook with a couple of bad apples i would say negative nellies (laughs) to put it politely uh but listen they're there they're newer they're upgraded they have a three-year warranty if you're interested in checking them out and testing them i'd like to get some feedback from you that'd be kind of cool the other thing i want to talk about is the uh viper or refrigeration technology silicone grease which i've been using for years on things like plugs for condenser fans or uh, evaporator fans and walk-in coolers and freezers or molex connections that could be susceptible to corrosion and the corrosion is bad because then we could have issues with electrical flowing current flowing and, and causing burnt up plugs and stuff like that and failed components so it's used as a dielectric grease to prevent moisture from getting inside terminals and stuff like that check it out it's a really good product we have been continuing the education with jjm alkaline technologies regarding the uh the condensate neutralizers so condensate neutralization is a thing i think if you've been listening to the podcast you're you're getting that information you're getting you're getting the point of it and why it's important so check your your local codes in your area make sure if there's any metal metallic drainage systems within the system not just locally but within the building system or home or underneath the ground or septic for that matter, make sure you're using a condensate neutralizer, guys, because it can cause a lot of damage. And check out JGM Techno- Alkaline Technologies' site for, for more information.
0: So the baking soda is two things. It, it's really it's there to help neutralize that citric acid that's in that nickel-safe cleaner. Um, so when I do it, just depends. If they have really good water, and it's not really slimed up. Uh, I'm not doing a deep cleaning. You can get by with just running the chemical through the reservoir. Um, follow, most of them have instructions on the cover. You can read the instructions. I want you to mix so much chemical per so many ounces of water, you know, based on which size unit it is. Um, It'll, some do automatic cycles where it tells you to add, you know, the cleaner. Some tells you you got to manually dump it just depending on the model. But I like to run the chemical through it. And then once I get the chemical through it and flush, I will then run a sanitizer through it. It's just a chlorine based sanitizing product. um, And that sanitizes all the surfaces and helps kill some of the the growth as well. Um, If it's really bad, I'm going to go ahead and start off by, uh, putting in my descaler or my cleaner and then i'm gonna let that run through the system and then once that's done through the system i will actually take and strip the unit apart i'll pull off the distribution tubes i'll pull off the pumps i'll pull off the ice thickness probes the water probes i will take this thing completely apart i will take it to a sink i will scrub it if i need to put more chemical on it and get the line scale and the build up off i'll do that um while i'm doing that a lot of times i'll take hot water and i'll melt all the ice out of the bin if it's that point I have to tear it apart. It's going to be bad. So I'm going to go ahead and melt all the ice out of the bin, and then once I get everything wiped down, all the slime, the gunk, the lime scale off of everything, I'll put it all back together. I'll run sanitizer through my machine, so I'll let it circulate through the machine like I was the cleaner, and then I'll put some sanitizer in a spray bottle mixed with water, and I'll actually sanitize the entire bin. So you're getting all the anything you may have introduced in there, and anything that's in the air and stuff like that. You got to think ice is food, so you technically need to handle of gloves you need to make sure it's food safe and it's ready to go when it starts making ice so that's why i spray all my surfaces down i've touched in the whole bin and make sure it's all wiped out good and then i'll take a hose with hot water and i'll rinse all that sanitizer off there and then what i like to do is once it starts making ice again that first batch i don't count it I don't do anything with it i just let it fall because you know you've had the machine apart you've had it hot you know that first batch may take too long to you know to freeze You may have some issues. So once that first batch is gone, that's when I start my clock. I time my freeze cycles, my harvest cycles. I'm checking pressures at at initiate a freeze, five minutes in the freeze, when harvest kicks in and during harvest. I write all that stuff down, and I try to make sure everything's averaging out the same. If everything's averaging out the same, I know I'm good. So by the time I get that fourth batch in there, I go ahead and take that hot water again, and I melt all that ice out, and I let it go. It's back to being their baby.
2: Nice. So Matt, you got any questions about the ice machine thing before we we go on to something else?
1: So how long does that process take you then roughly? Because it's not, it seems kind of like a little lengthy process. Sounds like it might take you a few hours to do that. There's like one ice machine if you're being that thorough about it.
0: Yep. If it's, if it's that bad of a cleaning, it's uh, I tell them at least four hours. And if it's a big machine that has like a 45 minute cycle, like a big Oshizaki, it's going to be close to six hours. But I mean they can understand that that machine has to be cleaned properly, or you're just introducing bacteria and lime scale into people's drinks. I mean, I'm sure we've all been in restaurants and you're drinking water and your ice melts. You can see like little floaties in there. That's just lime scale and everything else. I mean, I know people that start this job and they never have ice again. They refuse everywhere they go. They're like, I just want no ice. I'm like, well, when's the last time we cleaned the nozzle on the pot machine?
2: Yeah, true, true. Um, So do you take, this is an interesting one. Do you take care of, the mechanical stuff outside of the kitchen like exhaust fans and makeup airs do you take care of that stuff or just the stuff in the kitchen
0: no we do um exhaust air we do exhaust we do makeup air units we do um hvac as well for restaurants so i'll do some rooftop stuff um luckily most of my stuff's all rtus so i don't have any split systems um we did have an account that has some split stuff and i didn't take care of it but um no it's anything in a restaurant i mean i don't do plumbing i've worked some of our branches will actually hang like bathroom divider stalls well, you know the uh, hand dryers in the bathrooms, the world dryers. We actually service those. So, I mean, anything in a kitchen, we're we're down for it. But I just I just don't do like plumbing like in a bathroom. But if it's in a kitchen, I'll run water lines, drain lines, dish machines. I'll do drain lines, water lines. It don't bother me. I'll do it all. Hmm.
2: Yeah. So I I wanted to kind of educate the audience, and and after we're done with this kind of part of it, uh, Matt's got some questions, and 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 you guys talked earlier uh behind the scenes about some some personal stuff that i think is is valid to talk about and and that's where matt's going to come in here and and talk to you about that but i just want to ask you before we go on because i i think there's a lot of people that don't really understand how the air exchange in a kitchen should work because we need to have exhaust fans because we're cooking we have gas appliances we need to get rid of that uh, that that air, but when you get rid of that air, I don't know if anybody's walked into a building and they try to open the door and the door is kind of stuck and the, and they finally open it and they feel the air whooshing in from inside. It's because it's under a negative pressure, and a lot of times it's because the kitchen they're using their exhaust fans, but they're not running their makeup air, or it's broken, or they didn't even install one, or, or 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 whatever. Right. So, can you maybe talk about how? even though we're exhausting air, we got to bring some air back in to to, to help neutralize sort of the, the air in the building, the pressure in the building.
0: Yeah, so a lot of my customers, um, they have makeup air and they have like a, a gas fired unit. It's not very efficient, it wastes a lot of gas um, and it still doesn't do a very good job, especially when it gets really cold. So they just will not turn the makeup air on. And uh, like you said, you go there and you go to open that door and it doesn't open, it finally opens, you get a big whoosh of air coming in. So I try to just, you know, make sure that, the filters on the ins- the filters for the intake of the makeup air are clean. Make sure they're in there. Make sure the gas is firing off. Make sure the customer's aware that hey, you need to do this. You know, you can get someone's hand smashed in a door. I've, you know, little kids get trapped in doors and stuff. So you just gotta make sure you have that air coming in. A lot of times um, in my stores, we don't really do air balancing, but the air balancing guys will you know open up the dampers on the rooftop units and stuff so it brings in some air too because they know how the restaurants are. It's cold in there, especially in the morning when the heat's not on for the building and you first get in and you're firing up all that stuff on, They'll, they don't want to turn that makeup air on because this is going to dump cold air on them. So, you know, we try to make sure that at least some of the dampers are open on the rooftop unit so at least it can draw some fresh air through there.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, some, some of these places, they're interlocked. Like, you, you go in, you, you turn a couple dials, push a cu- couple buttons, and both of them come on at the same time. And I guess if 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 you do that and the makeup air doesn't come on, I mean... I guess the exhaust fan is only going to run at that point unless they're interlocked to, to only work together, and they don't come on at all. And then they got to make a phone call because now they can't use their exhaust fan. I've seen different scenarios, and I'm sure codes are different all over uh, all over the place because I know, for instance, if you're going to fire uh, a makeup air that's uh, that's indirect fired, where the or sorry direct fired, right? Y- you have to run an exhaust fan, and it has to be interlocked. Um, so the exhaust fan has to run first in order for that makeup air to even start, right? So there, there's lots of different scenarios that could play out there, but I think it's important that everybody knows that, I, I mean, we want that exhaust fan yet yeah, to exhaust the kitchen fumes and smells and all that, but we want to make the air back up in order to prevent the building from going in a negative. And it's not really good for gas fired appliances either to have such a, a strong negative when you're firing up a burner, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's rough. So I get stores, a lot of times they'll leave their hoods on at night when they leave. And I've had, you know, like some places that have uh like rethermalizers. So rethermalizer it's like a fryer, but you cook pasta in it or you cook soup in it, you heat up bags of soup or product. Well, those have water and there's water lines behind those lines and they'll leave their hoods on overnight, but the makeup air shuts off and it actually will draw in enough cold air from outside and freeze the water lines behind those those are the equipment a lot of times because most of the stuff here actually has they have the grease intake across the top up high you see but then down low the hood actually sticks out from the wall like four inches and actually draws air from down there too and it'll, it'll freeze water lines so but i mean the hoods, hoods have come a long way we do some work for a company called acurex and they have phenomenal hoods it's all variable speed it has heat pumps on the the uh the makeup air side it's conditioned. I mean, it, this thing's—it it was a hundred degrees outside, and it was putting in seventy-five degree air into the kitchen. I was like, "This is amazing,
2: awesome." So, the kitchen, the kitchen life, the commercial kitchen life has served you well as far as uh, livelihood, as far as um, like good, good, solid, honest work, right?
0: Oh yeah, it's 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 a tremendous field. I mean, um, it's it's getting better. Um, I I can't complain. I I never thought. When I was in high school, that I'd be doing what I was doing. I actually started off life as an electrician um I went to vocational school for two years electrician. I wired houses through school. I did um ballast at the high school, so we'd be there changing two seventy seven volt ballast in classrooms with kids in there live you know blowing stuff up, doing stuff we shouldn't do, stuff they can't do anymore, especially but um I came out of high school I was an electrician for seven years. And I never thought about doing what I was doing. Um, and my, my dad did it. He started off as HVAC, and he kind of morphed into kitchen stuff. And the company he worked for got bought out, and he was, didn't want to be a part of a big conglomerate. So he got me his his job pretty much in that branch, and then it's kind of grown. But, you know, I was a union electrician, and I make more than journeyman union electricians do. And then, I mean, currently, we can work all the overtime we want. I mean, you can work as much as you want, and... How much you make is up to you. If you're willing to learn and willing to try new things and willing to do more, you're going to make more. Just like any other job, it's, just, it's about the effort you put forth. But it's a good career. I mean, there's guys doing pretty well that have no idea what they're doing. So it's it's, it's weird. But
2: <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's lots of those. There's lots of those. <laughs> and,
0: yeah, that's just the trades right now. It's it's crazy. We're, we're hurting. Yeah. So
2: all right, well, Matt, I, I want you to jump in because I mean like i said you guys were talking earlier and and i think pat has got some really good like life personal stuff that he dealt with but it's 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 related to this trade because from 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 what i know it's made him a better tradesperson a a better um person all around so i think it's worth talking about and i mean you have you just started a podcast around sort of surrounding this these topics, right, where um, you're talking about uh, just things like depression and, and giving exposure to it and and things like about what Pat's going to talk about and stuff. So if you want to just let the audience know about your podcast quickly and then jump on with Pat and, and ask him some questions and you guys can discuss what, what you came to discuss with him.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I just recently started a podcast uh, called Trade Therapy. And like you said, Gary, it's basically to highlight stories of tradespeople people that have dealt with, whether it's like mental health issues or um, you know addictions, depression, that sort of thing. And so I've had a couple episodes uh, with some people. And so that's why I'm kind of getting some stories from other people. And there are other people that have uh, decided to jump on, like they've heard about it. And Pat was willing to kind of uh share a little bit of his story as well with me. Um he shared quite a bit earlier. So um <laughs> but that's yeah that's the, the idea and the the gist of it is to share these stories and say, you know, we're not just these macho men tradespeople anymore, you know, tradesmen, tradeswomen. We you know we don't have this machissimo attitude where it's like, oh, we're just gonna suck it up and deal with it. Where it's just like, no, we have problems, we have stresses, we have things that we need to deal with. And so it's a matter of kind of highlighting and saying, look, this is normal. We need to deal with this. And if someone listens to any of these stories that I I'm starting to put out and then they're kind of a light bulb goes off on their head and they go, oh, you know what? I have something in my own life I should deal with then all the better. That's kind of like the inspiration for that. And so, um, I know Pat, you had said, um, like you had started out, um, in this industry and I mean, no one can see the video, of course, but those of you who have followed you like on Instagram, of, of course, know that you're not exactly a small person. So, I mean, that was something that you had, um, kind of hinted at. So go ahead. I guess you just start with where, like you said, you were a union electrician and I guess we'll just go from there. Um, as far as how things started to, uh, I guess, transpire.
0: So, like I said, I was an electrician and I got this job. So I was active, up and down ladders, carrying rolls of wire, pipe, that kind of stuff. I was busy all the time, you know, go, go, go. Um, and I got this job and I went from being busy eight to ten hours a day to I'm sitting in a van now for a half to a quarter of my day and I'm driving between jobs. So you go to a restaurant and, you know, you fix something and hey you want some food you want some lunch and you know at first I wouldn't do it so like the first six months was like no this is nasty you know whatever and then I realized one day I was like man I ate at all these places beforehand whatever you know it is what it is so over the years I just you know you go into a place and they can't open up because this piece of equipment doesn't work and you get in there and you're the hero you fix it so I've ate anywhere from McDonald's to five-star steakhouse I mean there's a fancy place downtown Indy that all the you know, all the athletes eat that. I've eaten there. I mean, everywhere I go, you know, you fix it, you're the hero and they feed you. Well, the problem is I'm not active anymore. I went from being up and down a ladder all the time, to sitting in a van anywhere from three to five hours a day. And then when I do get somewhere to work, up at that point, I wasn't doing refrigeration. So I wasn't up a ladder on the roof. I was just, you know, I get in front of a unit and I sit there on the ground. If it's uh, something on ground level or if it's, you know, I stand there, I'm not, I'm sedentary at this point. I'm not, Moving all the time, and the weight started to add up. And it, shortly, probably about three years into it, I started having, uh gained enough weight where I had sleep apnea. um I transitioned to jobs because I wanted to do refrigeration, and the place I was at wasn't willing to train me. So I transitioned to a job, and I worked there for about nine months. And then that place ended up going under. So I went to a couple other places, and uh I my sleep apnea was so bad that I was actually falling asleep driving. Um, I've, i I lo- I was in a, my first place, I was in like three wrecks within. Two or three months. The guy came and called me in one day and said, Hey, Pat, I love you. You can fix anything. But I can't assure you anymore. He's like, I gotta let you go. So they took me home. I was off work for about a month. Um, still doing bad habits, you know, eating and drinking like I you know shouldn't be doing. And I got an air job and then it I did the same thing. I wrecked several vans. I had my van fixed, I wrecked it, I fell asleep on a job, throwing out. I was doing a reach in, I was laying on down I had to reach inside to thaw out this coil. And I literally fell asleep and the manager took a picture of me sleeping. And sent it to my boss. And once again, you know, between the wrecks and that, you know, I was a liability, so they couldn't hire me. They they had to let me go, so they had to fire me. So um, I'd been to the doctor, and I did a sleep study at that point. Um, I lost my job, so I didn't have insurance. Uh, I needed a sleep machine. I was smoking cigarettes. Um, My aunt stepped up and actually bought me a sleep machine, um, and it changed my life. I started sleeping again. My wife had actually slept on the couch for like three to four years because I was snoring so bad, or I'd quit quit breathing in my sleep and be gasping for air she just couldn't take it so she actually slept on the couch for years i mean thank god she's a saint i mean i couldn't have done it i mean she didn't leave me but i mean it all changed i got that CPAP machine i started sleeping i quit smoking um then i got a job where i'm at now and i've been here 11 and a half years and it's been great ever since but you know even when i got here i didn't change my habits um i was eating more and smoking more and drinking energy drinks to stay awake so that was my way of trying to keep myself awake is I literally eat or I drink or I'd chain smoke. Cause if I had a cigarette in my hand and I was moving around, it was keeping me focused on something. So it'd keep me active. The moment I wouldn't have anything in my hand, I just, I'd fall asleep. It was the craziest thing. I'd go to my kids' sporting events and I'd fall asleep standing up at the fence. I don't know how many times I fell asleep standing up, but I just fall down. So, I mean, it was crazy. So that led me, you know, to going from 235 pounds, you know, 16 years ago to i've had this spiral i've been as high as 440 um last year at hr i got down to like 340 um, i slowly climbed back up to 400 i'm back down a little bit right now so it's just it's it's a it's a wild ride man i, I don't wish it on anybody um i just like i guess i don't know how i got here i mean i know how i got here but i don't know i can't believe i let myself get to that point
1: yeah. And I, it's in, it's a common theme I hear amongst uh, some of the other people I've interviewed. So far, it's been all men, but it, all of them say that they're wiser saints. And I agree with you there. Like my wife was the one that definitely was the one for me, um, for anyone who wants to listen to my story. Like she was the one that basically was like pushed me and was like, look, you need to basically get your crap together or else. And so that was like, you know, a wake up call for me to basically be like, you know, hey, I'm not being a good husband. I'm not being a good father with what was going on in my own life. And so I imagine that was probably the same thing with you, with your wife, perhaps where it's just like, Hey, you know, you're not doing, you're doing our family a disservice in this sense.
0: Yeah. she never came out and said it, but you could tell she wasn't happy. I mean, she wanted me to get better, but she didn't know how to say it. I mean, she'd say stuff to me and I'd just, I'd get an attitude about it. I'd go off about it. And, and I really, I, I feel terrible about the way I treated her over the time because she was never trying to do it out of ill intent. She wanted me to be better. She wanted me to be there for our kids and for her.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so, what would you say then was kind of like, like I guess, like the low point where you did realize like that there was something that needed to be fixed that I that something had to change or else something was going to really go um, off the rails.
0: So, with the weight gain and everything else I've gone through, I, I'd have, have to, I'd get depressed. I mean, I would never be you know, thinking about suicide or anything like that, but I just get into periods where I just, I dwell on something. So like I said earlier, I have ADHD. And like, my thing is, is I will let the smallest, most minute thing spiral out of control. I will hyper-focus on that one thing and it just ruins my whole day. I mean, it could be something stupid as I tripped over something walking in or my shoe came untied or I left a, a tool in the truck I got back out there. And it was just, it was terrible. But, you know, with the depression, i I would eat I, you know that habit that was just there you know it was instilled from when I like, was trying to stay awake and then I rolled it into a coping mechanism you know I'd be sad and I'd go to the gas station and I'd buy a bag of chips and candy bar and you know Mountain Dew or monster energy drinks and then you know that was my okay I feel better and then you know later in the afternoon I'd get down again I'd go do the same thing again the same cycle and it was just a vicious cycle but um you know people you guys are on the internet I mean Instagram luckily is not like most other places. Most people are fairly nice and fairly happy, but I got wrapped up in being a troll on the internet. So, you know, if I'm going to be miserable, I was going to put other people, to, you know, I was gonna make them miserable. So I was going to go, you know, someone that has a stupid question, I just, you know, jump on the bandwagon and make it fun of them instead of being supportive. Like I should, um, and then that role hey, have
2: you ever trolled me have you ever trolled me pat sorry no sorry no
0: busted <laughs> i found you after <laughs> I've, I've i've dealt with a lot of trolls and i'm like i wonder if pat's ever trolled me <laughs> no no i actually like when i found you after i like made the change to be a better person so <laughs> no um so and back to the trolling thing like i would lash out on the internet so i'd make posts you know complaining about my friends my family my employer when really there was nothing wrong i just didn't know how to handle situations i was in so i'd get on facebook and just start bashing them and and one day a friend reached out to me he's a mentor he's actually a manufacturer he works for a manufacturer and uh, he called me he's like hey he's like, you know part of my language he's like what the are you doing i was like what do you mean he's like that's not you why are you posting that crap i was like i don't know what you're talking about and he told me and i was like oh i was like oh well, that's no big deal he's like no that is a big deal he's like that's terrible he's like you're not that type of person he said you're you're generally pretty, you know, go lucky or whatever, you know? And I literally talked to this guy for like 45 minutes in a Chuck E. Cheese parking lot. I had to go work on an exhaust hood. I'm crying my eyes out because this guy's like giving me hell about how I'm acting. And like, he's like, you need to talk to somebody. I was like, I think I just did. And, um, I never really talked to anybody else about it, but it changed how I handle things. So I quit trolling people. I quit being so negative. I started being more positive and things started changing. It was amazing you know i was just being more support- supportive and you know my career started getting better i get more opportunities and it's like it's this was like four or five years ago and it's just the things that happened in the last four or five years just because i don't i don't put out that negative energy this is amazing
2: it's funny Can I, I I just want to say so, sorry matt i want to say one actually you know what you finished that thought and i want to i want to jump in about the sleep apnea thing because it's really important for a lot of men and I'll tell you about something in my personal life that I'm about to do as well. So Matt,
1: finish that, and and I'll and I'll go on. Sure. No, I just wanted to comment and say you're. It's funny you're saying about the candy bars and the monster drinks because, I mean, you've probably seen there's all sorts of construction play pages or construction memes out there, and that's all they talk about is just like you know, oh, the joke is like, hey, what's what's your lunch? Oh, I've got this bre- breakfast burrito and two monster drinks. I'm good to go for the next four hours, kind of thing. And it's just funny, but. I think in some way, though, yeah, we make, you know, we make fun of that because that's the stereotype. But at the same time, though, you know, like you're saying, though, that that shouldn't be a norm like that. We should be saying, well, no, we should all be having like a decent meal. And I, I know I've heard that plenty of other places as well, where there's some of these other people out there. I know um, one of the guys I had on um, Viking Pipe Fitter, um, Colton, who works for Vega, he's, he's been on a, a little bit of a kick on his page talking about some health things and just saying, hey, look, like, I'm trying to be a better person. So I do see some people out there that are uh influential in a way to say look like this isn't the way it's supposed to be like we should be taking care of our bodies and taking care of ourselves like we shouldn't be subsisting on energy drinks and gas station food i mean that's just not the way to go and it sounds like you kind of made that realization yourself with your friend there
0: yeah i i get i give up on i don't eat the junk I used to I mean I still occasionally I'll drink an energy drink but I drink the sugar free ones the zero ones and if I drink them I don't get the full I can't handle the regular monsters I mean I'll drink a white monster if I need if I'm down I mean I work a lot of hours and I run on a you know little sleep you know we're in the service industry. you guys understand um but I try not to rely on that stuff anymore but I mean like I said I've had this 100 pound swing that's what I call it I've done it like four or five times over the last six seven years where I get up 100 pounds, down 100 pounds. It's just a wild swing, a wild roller coaster, and I'm just I'm sick of it. I've tried fad diets and lost 100 pounds last year. And then as soon as you get off it, you gain it right back because you're starving yourself or you're eating some weird some weird stuff, and it's just not not sustainable. So now I just i will try to focus on you know you know homemade foods, uh, salads, uh, lean beef, lean chicken, salmon, that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to work out twice a day. Viking has actually been a pretty good friend of mine. Um, I tag him just about every day I work out. Um, he's, he's a pretty good dude. So he's been a, some motivation to me. And there's a couple other guys that are pretty good too.
2: Yeah, I'm glad the whole, I'm glad, like Matt, I'm glad you started a podcast geared towards mental health because I think it's really important. And and I mean, Pat, you have just been so forthcoming about your own personal life. And I think that's great because in a way, that's therapy. Like right now, that it's therapy because, we, we might not be psychologists or psychiatrists or, or whatever these people are, are labeled these days. But speaking to people that are kind of in the same category in life as you and just getting it out is therapy. You don't need to pay somebody to do it. You just need to grab some people that you can speak to and on the same level. And, and I think that's all you need, right? You just reach out to somebody and just start spilling the beans and talking and get some good, positive, honest feedback. And what I wanted to say about the sleep apnea thing is, I think a lot of men struggle with the snoring thing, and 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 the wife kind of elbowing them in in the ribs. I I do, um, I do, and and I said to my wife in November December, I said, listen, in the new year I'm gonna in the new year I'm gonna go for a sleep study because the snoring it it affects my life as well as hers because it keeps me up. I don't get as good sleeps as as I should. I wake up tired because of it. And it's funny. I find like if I'm if I'm watching TV or something, I fall asleep on the couch, and I don't end up on my back. If if I'm kind of like a uh, on my side and my back's against the back of the couch, and I can't roll on my back, I get a way better sleep because I'm not on my back snoring. And and I told that to the doctor. He's like, mm, that's that's interesting. And I know of a f- a friend of ours who, when I first met him, was a complete dick. Right? He was a dick, and then all of a sudden. All of a sudden, like it was like one summer, like we seen him again and he he had like his mood was different. He changed. and I'm like, he's different. Like, I wonder what's going on with him. And then he revealed he had a CPAP machine and he was getting awesome sleeps. And he's like, he's like, I got a CPAP machine and it changed my life. And I'm like, what is it like a big machine and a mask? He's like, no, it's not. He's like, it's just this little box and this little thing that sits on your nose. It just keeps pumping positive pressure air into your into your nose. I said, that's it. He's like, yeah. So I'm going to go for a sleep study myself because I want to figure out if I have any type of sleep apnea and figure this out for myself and, and my wife as well. So that's just my two cents on on that matter.
0: Yeah, it's actually a lot easier. It used to be, I mean, some places still make you go to the hospital and they hook up to all the machines and stuff. And my son just did one because he's, he's 20 years old and he's getting his tonsils taken out. He's got tonsil stones and it like makes his breath stink and he's real he's real conscious about it. So he's like freaking out. So he's got his his tonsils taken out and um, they actually made him do a sleep study first, just part of the process. And he actually had an at-home kit. So it's a microphone you wear and it has sensors you put on your chest. It measures your heart rate and that kind of stuff. And then the microphone goes under your nose and just senses your breathing. and so i mean there's all different kinds now but mine i did originally 11 12 years ago was you know take a home one and it did a pretty good job uh, but the dick thing i was the same way i was a terrible person because i was tired and i was cranky all the time just imagine if you're up for 20 hours working or whatever you're cranky you're you say things you or act ways you shouldn't act i mean take it out people you shouldn't and uh i remember that first night i slept with that machine i woke up the next day and i was like man i haven't felt like this since i was like 13 years old this is amazing
1: yeah, that's good. Well, it's like, and you're saying too, like my wife, I mean, I, I, same thing with me. I don't necessarily think it's sleep apnea, but I just know that if I, for me, if I lay on my back, if I happen to fall asleep on my back, next thing I know I'm getting an elbow because I'm starting to snore. But if I'm on my side, I'm fine, which is how I generally prefer to sleep anyway. But yeah, I get the whole, you know, the wife elbowing thing. Cause yeah, it, it, that's happened to me plenty of times. Awesome. So, I mean,
2: we, we kind of went through the kitchen stuff, which, which is very cool. Uh, there's probably a ton of more stuff that I'd, like to talk to you about within a kitchen, Pat, but I mean, we only have so much time in the world and, and, and we, we're, almost, uh, we're almost at 45 minutes here or so, but I, I think that we, we can get you back on and talk about some more kitchen stuff at another time. But I did really, when, when Matt approached and said, you had some stuff to talk about personally and you were willing to talk about it, I'm like, I think we gotta spend at least half the show talking about it because I think it's, it's an important aspect of, of life. In the trade that we should tackle, so I, I I really thank you for that,
0: yeah, I feel that you know I'm gonna tell my story, and if someone has similar you know situation or experiences, maybe they'll feel like they can talk about it or they can reach out to somebody and ask for help or get a sleep study or something i mean don't 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 suffer i mean I'm lucky I didn't kill myself or kill anybody else driving the way I did um I'm lucky I'm still here at the weight I was at uh, I'm doing better, hopefully I can hit some goals i'm trying i'm working out once twice a day nothing crazy but just moving i um, watching what i eat but you know there's no reason to suffer in depression or anxiety i mean even if just talking to someone helps i mean if you guys talk to a doctor if you need to go to the doctor and get on something i mean that's whatever helps you um but you know just listening to people like me talk about it if that inspires somebody if i can help one person i'll tell my story a thousand times
1: yeah awesome all right man Hey, Through throw, Matt, last thoughts? Oh, I just wanted to um, say, no, it's okay. I just wanted to say thanks, Pat, for sharing your story. And actually, I wanted to thank you, Gary, um, for one, letting me co-host, but also for kind of being an inspiration to do this, because I know you had talked with a couple guests about some mental health stuff, and that was kind of what springboarded the whole thing where that kind of pushed me to say, you know what, I should actually start doing this because this seems to be a topic that not only yourself, but there are plenty of other people out there talking about it, but no one had actually made something specifically for so thank you to for the inspiration and thank you pat again for sharing the story and for being willing to do that yep you're welcome thanks guys thanks for having me so obviously pat
2: is an open book holds no punches tells you like it is it's not afraid to talk about himself and open up and i think that is therapy on its own matt has started his own podcast called trade therapy that relates to these things now if you guys want to listen to more Of Pat and Matt. They got their own podcast, as I mentioned, already off the top. We have the commercial Kitchen Chronicles, and then we have the Trade Therapy podcast as well. So check these guys out because they're doing some good things. Happy HVACing. I'm out. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.